Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and uh, new episode. This is an actual proper new episode uh, recorded with my great friend Peter Hallier. Uh, we're not back to regular new episodes yet. At the moment, uh, young podcast Mike has been putting together some amazing episodes of the show, themed episodes where he takes various guests talking about similar subjects and has put them together and they've been absolutely wonderful. So if you have not checked those out, I recommend doing so. You get a whole new appreciation of some of those topics, hearing various people talk about them back to back and Michael has done a brilliant job putting those shows together. But I wanted to squeeze in this one with my great mate Pete Hallier because he has a new show on at the moment, which I think is worth supporting. It's called How to Stay Married. Uh, you can check that out on 10 Play or, you know, live to air on Channel 10, like the old-fashioned way that people watch television. He's also on the project. He's got books. He's one of the most prolific, entertaining, wonderful people that I know in the comedy industry. He genuinely is probably an underrated genius, I would say, uh, Peter Hallier. He He's probably the most loved, beloved comedian of all. Everybody loves Pete. Um, he has a way of speaking to everybody. He can be super intelligent and uh, he can be super broad, often all in the one joke. Um, he has a great gift for humanity and for love and for compassion and finding comedy that is in the middle of those things. Anyway, I love this chat with Peter. I could have talked to him for hours and hours and hours. It was immediately after work. Uh, we were both pretty buggered. Um, Pete had to rush off to get to the project, one of his various other jobs. Um, so it didn't go for as long as I would have loved to. And there were so many things I would have loved to talk to Pete about. But this is uh, definitely one of those episodes where I would love to get another chance to sit down for another uh, hour, hour and a half with Pete and talk about some other stuff. Uh, the dogs are barking in the background, so I need to finish up this intro. Um, I've got a quick plug to do. Sydney Comedy Store, uh, December 7 to 15. I'm doing some work in progress shows, which means I'm going to get to the store without much of an idea about what next year's show is going to be. And uh, I'm hopefully going to discover what it's going to be uh, in that week or so of shows. So come on down and watch that happen. They're always uh, fun shows uh, to see and, you know, they're cheaper for a reason. So Sydney Comedy Store, December 7 to 15. So that's just like in a week, week and a half. Um, and uh, enjoy this episode with Pete and enjoy the rest of the compilation episodes that Michael's put together. And then we'll be back with some new episodes in the next uh, few months. Okay, the dogs are really barking in the background now. I have to go. Bye. Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. Uh, I am Will Anderson, the host of the podcast. Uh, my name's in the title, Willosophy with Will Anderson. Um, uh, every week, and when I say every week, um, clearly I've had about six months off, so not really every week at all, but I'm back. The point is I'm back and uh, could not be back with a better episode. Uh, this is how it starts. Um, I always ask the guests who they are. Who are you? Uh, my name is uh, Peter Hellier and uh, you might recognise me from Hard Nice Headliners. <laughs> just, just thought I'd throw a little bit of nostalgia in, Will <laughs> Well, I mean, the good people at Han Ice have been wrapped with the shout-out Is Han Ice even a, pro- a product that is still available I'm in not, this day and I'm age? I'm not sure if it is uh, Did you do Han Ice Headliners? I, did, I don't think I ever did Han Ice Headliners So Han Ice Headliners was a uh, comedy, one of the Comedy Channel's first kind of local productions When, the, when Foxtel kind of began and the Comedy Channel began Hosted by Marty Sheargold 
filmed at the uh, comedy club, and um, and yeah, you, you, each episode was like two comics, and Marty would shoot a little bit with you backstage or during a day, picking you up to do the gig, and then you just do a gig. It was, it was. Um, I think I did mine with Akmal for memory. Um, but uh, yeah, thought I'd just throw that one in. I was, going, I was tossing up between that and Radio Wise. Do you remember Radio Wise? Now, what was Radio Wise? <laughs> Radio Wise. <laughs> so Radio. I Wise. love all these old things, by the way. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love going back and going. What What exactly did we do on that? I remember one of my favourites was uh, mouthing off with uh, Richard. Feidler. Yes. Richard Feidler had a, like a politically incorrect style, you know, show called. Oh, I think it was called Mouthing Off. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I never did that. But Radio Wise was, uh, it was basically where they would, they it wasn't a TV thing. Uh, strangely enough, it was a radio thing where they would record gigs, and then they would. Uh, radio Wise was the company that would uh, then sell bits of your material to mainly, I think it was Triple M that were doing it, and maybe a bit of Fox. And they would throughout the day they would uh, you know play live from the Star and Garda. This is Peter Hellier, and they'd do a little bit of fish and chips or something. And then um, and, and that, <laughs> I hope but, so. you, but you got paid like hundred and twenty <laughs> bucks or something. So that was like you know when you're scratching around trying to you know subsidise your damn Murphy's wage. Um, <laughs> that was and you heard you know occasionally be driving around you hear yourself on the radio. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Um, do you remember the first time? Would that be would have been the first time that you like were able to be the audience for your own work? Because that's something that um, often when somebody doesn't like my work, there is a part of me that under, is like, yeah, I get that. Like, a comedy is very subjective. Yes, and B, my comedy isn't even necessarily the sort of comedy that I enjoy consuming myself. Yeah, like if I were a comedy festival punter and going out to buy tickets to things, I'm not sure that my show would be the sort of thing that I would go and see. It's the sort of thing that I do, yeah. but it's not necessarily... It's not like at the festival I go, I'm going to go and see another 10 people who are doing comedy, like the comedy that I do. Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm, I'm, I think I'm the same way. Um, I'm not even sure if I even think about it too much, but I think I end up choosing people who are quite different to me. You know, I'll see Alex Edelman, who you know is, is is very different uh than what I do and and um yeah other people um but yeah i mean that was the first yeah that was probably the first time i probably heard myself and thought of my, thought of the audience you know uh, in that kind of way i always love sitting in audiences and i still think it's important you know at festivals i think sometimes i go see other shows just to sit in the audience and remember what it's like to be in the audience of a comedy show and that they i look around and they all want to enjoy the show and when you're backstage, <laughs> you're not thinking like that. Yeah. You, you're thinking, oh. You think this is like 500 people who've each paid $50 each to come out and hate me <laughs> exactly. to have a terrible time. How weird is that? Like, you, we, you still think like that. You know, and I, you know, I mean, I, I do, I'm probably over that a little bit. Like, you kind of go, no, most, most of the people are here in the right frame of mind. There might be a handful of people who are being dragged here. Maybe they wanted to go see you, or you know, or Jude, or, or somebody else, and you know their girlfriend won, um, <laughs> uh, or somebody who maybe had a bad day, maybe didn't really feel like coming out, but maybe we can, you know, maybe I can get them, you know, I can turn them around. Um, but yeah, I still love sitting in the audience and even listening to the music people play because I always, I'm sure you do as well. I, I choose my my house music very carefully. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, I love the lights going down and it's that experience. 
so w- one of the things that I find interesting about sitting in an audience is that idea that when you're on stage, you need everybody to be enjoying like your well, my mindset as the performer is if somebody's laughing at every sixth of a joke, you almost yeah. if you were looking at that person, you'd be like, "Ah, oh, this is going no good." Yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. laughing at every single joke. Yeah, but when you're in an audience, you remember, "Oh, that's the point of an audience. That's yeah. why an audience is a good thing because no one's laughing at every single joke at the show. No, like only a like an insane person would literally be laughing at every single every joke that you've written that you go this is a great line this is a great line if someone came along and laughed at every single one of those jokes mm. a it would be completely exhausting for them but b that would mean they were so on like they'd be a stalker essentially because yeah, they'd be so and, into and you they are more than they... welcome to come to the shows and uh, you know pay full price obviously but um, absolutely and you know there's the old thing that sometimes we all fix on the person that isn't laughing in the crowd but sometimes when I'm watching other comedians you know I do look around at the um, at the crowd and I see sometimes in this when you're on stage you don't appreciate it but sometimes people are just smiling and taking it in and enjoying it you know and some people are big laughers and other people are doing it more internally that, that that's not the most fun thing for a person on stage but sometimes you say, I did a gig at a winery on the weekend uh, with uh, Merrick Watts is, is running at the moment and uh, it was uh, Nikki Britton, uh, Tom Gleeson, um, uh, Becky Lucas, and Akmal, and I particularly was watching the audiences when Becky and uh, and Nikki were on, and there were so many kind of women like kind of hitting each other in the arm, going, "Yeah, you do that, you do that," you know, like that, whether they constituted laughs for the, the comedian on stage, it was an absolute connection uh, there. So. It's and yeah, I told him I, that I killed tonight. So many of the audience members came out bruised from the experience. <laughs> <laughs> Show me your arms. How did I go? Yeah, yeah exactly. If, if they don't come out scratched, bruised, and bleeding, then I haven't had a good gig. Um, are you a person who feels comfortable? Because I imagine, like you know, say for example, your television show at the moment, "How to Stay Married," yep. um, that you are involved in the edit of that as well, aren't you? Yes. So that means that you are spending a reasonable amount of time watching yourself yeah. perform. Are, are you a person that does that? So, for example, when you're doing a stand-up show, yep. are you the sort of person that like records it? Do you watch it back? Are you comfortable watching yourself? You know, perform. I, 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 I am enough. I don't, I don't search myself out to, to, you know, I don't go home and watch the late edition of the project um, each night. Um, Larry Sanders style? No. Lying yeah. in bed with Bridget. <laughs> lying lying in bed with Sharon Stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that documentary is amazing, by the way. If, uh, have you seen the Larry Sanders that Judd Apatow did? I haven't seen it yet, it's, but it's, I am um, looking Shanley, forward to yeah, seeing it. It's amazing. It. Um, uh, but I'm comfortable enough. Um, if I if I think it's gone really well, I tend not to watch it back because if if I can avoid it, it this is not if I'm part of the edit and, and all that, but um, then I won't watch it back because I think that lives perfectly in my mind, and I don't need to see what I did wrong. Yeah, so I won't watch it back. <laughs> if I think it didn't go as well, I might watch it back to see what I could improve on. Um, uh, Stand up, I record myself a lot. Most gigs I record. And it's been, I think, I think iPhone's one of the, the great things. And I know you've recorded yourself, I think, for even back with mini discs and, and, and stuff. Is that, am I being, am I, I accurate? record a lot. Yeah. Whether I listen back, though, to yeah, the recordings right. is, yeah. is like, I mean, this current show, I think I've recorded every single night that I've done, but 
I've only listened back to an entire show. So yeah, so you record, and I still record like throughout my festival run. I record every show I do, and you do a lot more shows. Your runs are a lot longer than mine. Um, but when do you start deleting? Like when do you start? Do you go like, well, there's nothing new in that show, so I don't need that. No, nah, they're all still on my phone. You could, <laughs> you could, you could actually recreate my entire. If you had my phone, there'd be about two shows missing from the entire tour, and they were only nights where a either the recording didn't work. I you know my, I mashed the wrong button with my fingers as I was walking out, or uh, like happened the other night uh, in Noosa. Um, I left my phone charger in Townsville the night before. So um, I was charging my phone backstage on Justin's so I couldn't take it out on stage. And of course, that's the show where I come up with three or four really, I, that, that, really good lines in the show. That's pretty much the only reason I ever recorded is yeah. like if I come up with some great bit of improv or the joke comes out in a way that has never come out before. So I can go back and go, why did it come out better tonight than yeah. it's been coming out those other times and have a listen to that? That's the reason I do it as well, just to find those little bits uh, that, that come out and then I would tend to keep maybe half a dozen on on my phone or recorded for prosperity and, you know. The thing that I always find when I listen back is I'm reminded that when I'm going into something, particularly a new show and these sort of things, you you have this idea that it, somehow you want to make it word perfect yeah. or that, you know, that you need to get it perfect. Whereas what I realize when I listen back is even on the nights where I think that I got it perfect, yeah. it is so far from perfect. Yeah. And I, I certainly have a discomfort listening to my voice back and listening because I had the same thing. I think I, it feels better in my head than when I listen back to it. But that's also tempered by the fact that the audience is... Is giving a reaction, whether it's a great night or, or, or an average night. Um, but um, yeah, I uh, no, I do, I do. It's important. I think, I think, I think, you know, the apps and iPhones have been such a massive thing for comedians. Uh, what about external feedback? Like, uh, a, how much of it do you take on board? Like, where are you getting it from? Um, are there people that you particularly look to for external feedback? And then, yeah. like, you know, what is your kind of attitude to taking it? Are you good with taking it? Uh, you know, I mean, just uh, give us a sense of that. I love it. I love getting feedback because, and for me, I'm, I'm, I know, you know straight away whether you think you know, it's a good idea or not, whether it might help. Um, I go away for a weekend with Tom Gleeson every year. We've done that for the last six years or so. And it's usually around a time where we're both writing shows. And we'll go to places we've been to Cairns, um, um, Port Douglas. Uh, we're in Newcastle recently. We've been to Mandurah, WA. And we'll do, you know, basically shows in front of theatres that are similar to the kind of, you know, places we're playing at the comedy festival. Maybe a bit smaller, but, you know, four, five hundred, six hundred people. Um, and it's the best time to you know to try a lot of stuff you know because you've got not only a, an audience which is there and captive and excited but you've also got well i've got one of the best comics in the country and we actually watch each other's shows we basically spend you know a couple of days talking you know doing these shows going back to one of our hotel rooms opening some wine and talking about family at gig and um comedy and just our careers and and it's just it's really lovely, you know, and, and, and but we will watch each other and give each other a lot of feedback. And, uh, um, 
and openly, there's no, there's no embarrassment as, as far as going this bit. You know, it's not working. What you know, what what can I do? Or do you think it's you know, is there something in this? Or and it's I, I love having those conversations, and I'm happy to have those conversations with any you know comic. Um, um, and anyone who's at the gig, I, I guess um, I run a lot of stuff by my wife. Before you know, before she hasn't, she doesn't actually come to a lot of gigs. She, she'll come when it's finished. You know, when it's when it's working. Um, uh, but I run a lot of stuff by her. She actually comes up with a lot of stuff, to be honest. Yeah. So that's right. interesting to me because, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, if you're going to talk about your life together, it's probably worth her having some visibility on that. You don't want to put together mm. like a 15-minute story about something that happened to, you know, you know, her and you and the kids or something and work it out and get it up and it's like the main video show and then she comes along and says, I'm not really sure you should be talking about that yeah, publicly. I know. Thank you, she's, Peter. She's been very good. Like there was one bit I did in a show called One Hot Mess, which was about um, me and my my spank bank, if you like, and the and the idea that you know she may not be the only person in there, and like she's got the five star hotel room with the French you know post four poster bed and the artworks on the wall, but she's maybe not aware that next door there's a scout hall with lots of other people in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I had this kind of bit where I was like introducing her to all the all the other people in my spank bank from you know various celebrities to you know bridesmaids at a wedding and and you know and and that was the bit that I kind of was uncomfortable kind of saying to her you know I want to do this um, this bit because it was yeah there's a certain truth to it but you know it was exaggerated. Um, that's all of it is, you know. There's sometimes, I mean, with how to stay married at the moment. There's a lot of stuff about our lives in that show, but it's usually the seed of it is our is the truth, and then we take it somewhere else. So, how do you? That's an interesting thing to me because, like Billy Connolly, you know, said once that of course, you know, you exaggerate things, and of course, you lie because if people yeah. wanted to see a documentary, there'd be just someone up there, you know building a fence yeah, yeah like yeah. yeah real life is mostly boring yeah sometimes there is a seed of a perfect moment in a story or whatever but it's often you you taking one aspect of it and then exaggerating it to a point where it is you know perfect and comedic or whatever it needs to be so that journey from something being kind of half true or like you know having a real seed of truth in it but then being exaggerated out to that place you can take it on stage yeah how do you know when's far enough and when's too far in, you know, yeah. that? There's one, there's a good example I, I, I can think of with me when I, years ago, I did a routine about my dad um, getting uh, button-up jeans and I, and how he really struggled to get the buttons undone. And it was true. That was true. <laughs> Like, I mean, we're getting very frustrated with his button-up jeans. You know, you, you just, once you're a zipper man at that age, you just, just save the zippers. But, so, and I, then I extended it to a memory, which is completely made up of basically my dad pissing his pants at the circus because he couldn't get his button-up <laughs> pants <laughs> undone in time. 
And I did it about I did it about three or four times and I just went, I can't do this. Like my dad's gonna see this, his friends are gonna see it. I might it might end up being broadcast at some point of a go, you know, like well, I can't have his friends at the village where he lives now, but this is years ago, but uh, yeah, the, the local bowls club, thinking he pissed his pants at the circus. That's not fair on him. He, has, he doesn't deserve that. So I mean, there'll be a point in his life where he gets the age where the majority of his uh, you know, group have pissed their pants in public <laughs> well, at some stage. It might be very relatable. I think if I, if I just wait a few more years, getting some more button-up jeans and taking to the circus, yeah. I could probably then do the routine. <laughs> Reverse engineer it. <laughs> So that was, I think, an example of going. Okay, I've, I've gone, I've gone too far. There was an example in, in the show where, where it's on there at the moment. How to stay married? Where, where, so my wife had a story that she's told. We've spoken a lot about over the years where she, her her English teacher accused her of plagiarism. Uh, she wrote a poem, and um, the teacher said, "You didn't write this." Mm. You know, she, she didn't. This is pre-internet, so there was no, you know. Yeah. It wasn't like about jumping on Google. To, it did to start with, out. I love a sunburnt country. Though, <laughs> so. There was a man from Nantucket. Yeah. Um, and so, and it, it just destroyed my wife's confidence uh, in English, you know. And, um, and I've seen some of my wife's writing, and she's very good, you know. She's, you know, like, who knows uh, what, what could have been ahead of her. Um, but it just really destroyed uh, her, and she was so angry about it. So I always had the idea that one day I would be able to almost um, write the wrong for her in, in, in a script form or, or comedy. So we, there's an episode of How to Stay Married where uh, Lisa McCune's character goes to her high school reunion and, and her character is, uh, has just returned to the workforce and he's working in publishing. And the teacher who accu- this teacher who had accused her of uh, plagiarising uh, hears about the publishing and it's just like saying how ironic it is that you're working in publishing and it's laughing and then it's like well you know why is it ironic she goes oh, it wasn't really your forte was it writing and she goes it was my forte I don't have any other fortes it was my forte and then so that's almost up until that point that's the tr- that's the truth it's it's played out in different in different form at a high school reunion many years later but that's true. that's all true but then we have to work out okay well what's what works with TV what works for entertainment, and I'm still trying to kind of fight the fight for my wife, and kind of go, I want to, you know, I want to make this a point. But the fact is, it's funnier, and it works better for us. If and they basically they go off and they they, they dig up the time capsule where the poem is buried, and Lisa's character reads the poem in front of everybody, and when she reads the poem, she realizes that it's actually Billy Joel's River of Dreams. <laughs> That she she had completely wiped from her memory that that pop cultural moment and um, was you know in South Africa on safari with her family and just woke up in the middle of the night. Mm. There's a little clue early in the episode, um, and uh, and wrote this poem. So it doesn't play out in my wife's favour, but that's just funnier. <laughs> <laughs> so then this is interesting to me, which is, have you ever had an instance? So, uh, I'll, I'll give you the example because you saw you saw uh, We're Legal, my show about yes, the arrest. So amazing, you, we can way. talk about that. Um, so, that is a true story. Yes, but it is a show about a real thing that happened to me, and it is not 
it's a thing that happens over 30 hours and the show doesn't go for 30 hours. Yeah. I mean, some nights it almost does. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, the show goes for an hour and a half maximum. Yes. And so you're condensing. I'm still, by the very nature of what I've chosen to point out is important on this journey. It might feel like I'm giving you a complete picture of that day, but the truth is that, you know, like for example, just a really small example to make this point is yep. there's a bit in the show where I talk about being uh, the lounge eating carrot cake and as I'm doing one thing, they call my flight, yep. right? Well, they didn't. There was yep. 40 minutes in between when that bit happens and when I get on the plane, but nothing interesting happened in that 40 minutes. Yeah. So for, this, for the nature of storytelling, I don't go, and then I walked around the airport for 40 minutes and this, yeah. you know... So suddenly in my I mean, I mind... I feel ripped off that you didn't include that, but I mean... But, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I tried to make it work. I had this whole idea about how suspicious it must have looked that I was just doing laps of the airport. Anyway, whatever. Never could make it work. But then that becomes in my mind. I have to remind myself yeah. now that I've told that story over and over and over again, that that's not actually exactly how it happens. Uh, yeah. Because by the very nature of me saying it, over and over again and needing to believe it in that moment to make it convincing for the audience, yeah. then it almost rewires your brain in a way that you start to think, well, hang on, did, you know, Bridget, um, you know, at high school, you know, submit Billy Joel's River of Dreams, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. rather than what the actual story you know, yeah. is. Yeah, that happens to me, uh, I think, quite a bit where I, I reinforce it so many times in my mind, it changes, the, you know, the historical... Uh, facts um, and I'm not sure I'm not sure whether it concerns me or not to be honest because it kind of if it's a nicer version of the truth <laughs> I can live with it um, but um, yeah it's funny actually because Bridge literally was chatting this morning and uh, she was saying how I think her brother had said to her oh, they'd watched an episode of How to Stay Married and she said, oh yeah I can really imagine you and you and Pete having that conversation. And she's like, well, yeah, but it's not actually me and Pete. It's it's two different characters. Um, and I said, yeah, I said, you know, we've had to change some bits. Uh, <laughs> I joked. I said, yeah, we've actually had to cut out all the all the silent treatment that you give me after an <laughs> argument. <laughs> and just, like, like that would that would that wouldn't work for TV. We have to cut out all the the, the days of silent treatment. To get to the resolution at the end of the episode. <laughs> I mean, but what a brave and exciting episode that would be. Like, if you're in, say, season five, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it'd be like the restaurant episode of uh, the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. You know, like that thing of going, you guys have an argument in the first 30 seconds, and then literally the rest of the episode is just her giving well, you the silent truth. But I, it's funny because I, I thought, of, I did think of it because what a great thing that we all have all experienced in relationships right. is the silent treatment. What? How can we do an episode about the silent treatment? And, and you know, it probably is M trying to give Greg the silent treatment, but then realizing she actually really, really needs to tell him something. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think there is uh, an idea there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm interested particularly in this area where it comes to relationships, because when you're taking something from your real life and that you are going to... Uh, later extrapolate on often those things can come from moments of conflict or they can come like you know the most interesting or exciting things are going to be you know uh, when you're going through something bad or you're yeah. having an argument about something or whatever how do you stay in the moment in a way that honors your partner in like you know 
she needs you to be in this argument at the moment having the argument yeah. as opposed to half of your brain already being off going, this will make a great episode of uh, you know how to stay married. It may be the single biggest issue in our relationship that my mind drifts off. I live in a half a fairyland. I really like it's not, and I don't, I don't understand a lot of stuff that, that real people have to understand. You know, I don't, I haven't cared enough about superannuation. I don't, you know, there's stories in the news. I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm on a new show, and I'm just, like, I don't even know what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> this is, let's get to the fun stuff. You know, I, I, I grew up watching movies and believing in them. Yeah, you know, like I. Which, you know, I think it's worked out all right for me. And, and I, you know, that if you do good things, good things will happen to you. And, and um, the good guy usually wins. And um, I, yeah, I, my, mind, my mind drifts off because it's either, yeah, I'm thinking of something uh, that there's a, something that Bridget said, which I'm thinking, like you just said, that could make a good uh, routine. And sometimes I will do that like Bridget is understanding you know sometimes I'll go actually I need to write that down that's actually pretty funny and unless it's unless it's like a serious like unless it's like a yelling match which we don't, we don't have too many of to be honest but unless it you know I, I know I know I know if it's a yelling match not to not to um, not to get out notes on yeah. your phone <laughs> not, not to get notes on your phone just, just one sec, Bridge. I'm just going to record just, a voice memo uh, here. If you could just, I'm just going to put the phone in between yeah. us. Why are you a yeah. prick? Uh, that'll make sense later on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but my mind is so easy. I've, I've thought about going and seeing somebody for it where I could like, my, my lack of focus sometimes is astounding. And that's, and that's, I think it's a selfish thing that we do, to be honest. And maybe other, maybe you're very good at, compartmentalizing and, and staying in the moment or but I imagine we all drift off to, to an, a point like yeah and I, like you very rarely have my full attention well I, I, I th- I've thought about it a lot and just in relation to you know this show that I've done because I'm coming to the end of it now and I'm starting to think about what the what the next show will be and so you do have that kind of moment to sort of uh, think about how being in the moment and experiencing things in a real way is still very important. Like I think that there is part of what we do that if you're constantly feeding your life into things, that essentially you're looking at your life as a content creation machine rather than just being able to go, no, 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 no. I'm just in this moment and I'm in this experience. Right. And I, you know, in a relationship that must be, you know, particularly I think if you are, I don't write a lot of stuff about my relationship. So it's reasonably easy for me to be right, going, yeah. this is the relationship yeah. and this is my work because they're not actually very intertwined. And yeah. it's, I don't have kids and it's not part of my... So it's not like I have to... But I still see it. I still yeah. see the idea that you eventually go, well, I'm, I don't... This thing, this bad thing that is happening to us right now, it would actually be better for me as a human being if I just experienced it as a bad thing rather than that one part of my brain going... Nah, this will this will make a really funny bit. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it depends on how deep the trouble is at the time. Like, like you said, if, if it is, if it's, there, there are times where I, I do clock it, or maybe I don't even realize it at the moment because I am focused. I'm, I'm not complete. I'm, I'm not never focused and in the moment with Bridge. You know, like if we're having a proper serious conversation, but but sometimes Bridge will tell me about stuff about um, 
you know, something that happened in traffic. She she describes traffic a lot to me, and I think too much. I've, I had to say to her recently, I said, when you're talking to me about traffic and you're talking about all the roads and when you're trying to pinpoint, you know, get my, the sat-nav in my brain to kind of you know, sync up with yours, it takes me a long time to actually kind of work out where it is and where you are. So, and then I, and then I'm behind in the conversation, and I'm just playing catch up. Yeah, and it's 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 hard. So I just so I just want you to know that that's something, you know, because I it's it's sometimes you know like bridge she can move quickly, you know, and, and like she'll say something like um she'll say something to me, and I'm like, oh, what did you say? And she'll say maybe we're in different rooms, and I ask again, what did you say? And then she'll go, oh no, it doesn't matter. You get two chances. And then it's then it's over. So sometimes we shall say something, and I'm just trying to. I didn't quite catch it, and I'm just trying to work it out. I'm trying to go. What this? You know, can we replay that in my brain? Can we? And so, so sometimes I'm, I'm faking it. I go, yeah, yep, yeah. and I'm just faking it, hoping it comes to me. And then all of a sudden, she's halfway through the story about you know her auntie who's you know sick or something, and I, I'm just going, what? The, what is she? What's she talking about? I'm lost. And then you you know she'll work out. She goes, you know what I'm talking about, do you? I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't catch a start. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes I say, just, just, if I ask a third time, just tell me. Yeah. So we can start at the same time. Yeah, yeah. The reason that I am behind on this story was I was scared that if I asked again, <laughs> oh, well, the whole story it, 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 is, it is pure fear. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, I, I want to ask if you have a philosophy towards something because that's kind of the, the broad conceit of the podcast. Um, so how long? Oh yeah, we made it 30 minutes in before I got to that. That's about, that's, that's not too bad actually. I'm all right with that, but I'm going to, uh, use this opportunity because there's a natural break to use the bathroom and we'll start again. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad we weren't recording for that because Pete and I just had the, uh, just such an old man conversation <laughs> about how often we need to go to the toilet. Seriously, remember when we were young and cool doing stand-up, Pete? <laughs> Starting out down at you know elbow grease yeah. at the Nicholson, being young and thinking that we were going to be like you know rock and roll comedians <laughs> with the world in front of us, and now we're just two old men sitting around talking about how often we have to work. How good. that was a blink of an eye, and I wasn't it. But I yeah, like my yeah, I'm terrible. I sometimes. On planes, I find it really embarrassing because sometimes you, know, you get recognised, and when you, uh, if it's a long haul flight, I might need to go quite a few times. If I've had a couple of drinks as well, yeah. But, um, Once it starts, I, I sometimes come out just stop playing with my nostrils and sniffing like I've just had cocaine. So <laughs> it's less embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or just asking a random passenger, going, "Could you just come out of the bathroom after me, so people think I'm joining the Mile High Club or something?" <laughs> I promise nothing has to happen. Nothing ever just, yeah, I they, just don't it, want people to know how often yeah. I work. Yeah, let's come out. I'll give you a high five before yeah. you go back to your seat. Yeah. You. <laughs> um, uh, philosophy. Do you have one towards something? Is there one that you have as a guiding principle? I have all? a couple. One, one actually, which I'll kick off with because I think I feel like it kind of involves you in a weird way, which is um, never always. I only judge people by my own experience. And the reason I, I say it may involve you, and I'm not sure if I've ever told you this, but 
we started so we started out doing comedy I started out a year or two after you maybe two after you I started in 96 um, and and we, we didn't actually meet for a little while like when I say a little while it might have been months six months or something um, but I'd seen you know I'd seen you and you know, I think you'd done Diet Life yeah sure um, and uh, some contemporaries of ours um, uh, had said to me um, oh that's Will they said he's a lovely guy, but he won't like you. <laughs> and I was like, "Why won't he like me?" <laughs> <laughs> and they said he'll just be—he'll just—he might be—he might be a little threatened or something. Because I, I was experiencing a little like, as we all do when you first—not all—but uh, I feel like um, you have like a six-month little glow about you, or even a year or so, where you know. And I think Adam Richard was kind of experiencing that a little bit when I came on and he, he said just before me and then I had a little you know moment in the sun of you know being oh this is a new kid is you know I think Michelle Bellori described me as a puppy in one of her books uh, that everybody wanted to play with um for a you know, short period of time um and this yeah and so I was just like and then I met you and then you were like hey I, you know so, you know so I've seen, you know, seen your stuff and you're funny and it's great you're as lovely as you could have been and I reckon for about I mean, we got to know each other more and for about but I reckon in about two years at the back of my brain I'm just like, What something's gonna what's what is it? When's he gonna when's he gonna reveal that he doesn't like me? <laughs> when, when am I gonna see it? Well it's funny that uh, <laughs> but this is why I invited you over today, but going on a new direction with Willosophy this season. I'm gonna invite turn. a whole bunch of people over and rip the carpet from under them. Um, and and then so it was like maybe two or three years later I just went, Ah, oh, they were wrong. And it's so funny that it's it happened with you because the bigger picture, if we're to press enlarge, 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 is nobody's more supportive of new comics um, and, uh, and you know the industry uh, as you are. Now, you may have had that probably you've evolved in that and that developed over, you know, and that comes with years of confidence. And all, but, but there was never any sign uh, of that for me and, and you know and- yeah but here's what I always say to that and like I mean I always say I'm the worst person to ask about uh, you know my past because you know I you you constantly fra- reframe who you were based on who you are now yes right yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you see your prism of your life then through who you have become now yeah, and we're yeah. all guilty of this you yeah. know like if, like if i wrote an autobiography it'd have to be called based on a true story because like that's all <laughs> yeah, it would be yeah, yeah, you know yeah. like it wouldn't yeah. be a true story it yeah. would be my interpretation through my eyes now of what had happened yeah. but that wouldn't necessarily be accurate but my best guess is like you know knowing what i was like was when we first started, and and I think this is why we got along quite well immediately, uh, was was the fact that it was a couple of years after I started. Mm. I think perhaps you know somewhere where that would have come from would have been from contemporaries of mine when we started. And when you all are strangers coming into this place and none of us knew what we were doing because back then there wasn't this sort of, you couldn't listen to podcasts or read, Mm. you know, comedy websites or blogs or any of these sort of things. You know, we were constantly trying to work out, much like children in a way, what works and what doesn't work. And often before you know how to define yourself, you often define yourself, you know, teenagers are very big on this. You define yourself by what you don't like 
before it is you can work out what you do like. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I can't I don't have the confidence or the the pride or the just the contentment with myself to be going, it's okay just to like what I like. Yeah. I have to define myself as much by saying I don't like that and I don't like this and I don't like that person. And yeah. like the only kind of, in my opinion, and I, I mean, I may not be the best person to ask about this, but the only people within the industry that I have any kind of, you know, poor relationships with are people who I establish those poor relationships with in those first couple of years. Right, yeah. And not entirely on me, by the way, yeah, but, yeah. you know, the, the fact that we were all bringing yeah. that same sort of energy and by the very nature of that, yeah. then if you were two kind of opposite people and you're both kind of bringing that sort of like, I'm trying to define myself by what I'm not, yeah. then that's what happens. Now, then we all kind of get older and more confident and realise that it's a big, glorious world and you don't have to define yourself by what you're not you can just define yourself by what you are and i think you you and i met at a point where i hopefully i was moving into more of a defining myself by what i was and less by what i wasn't stage yeah but i mean like i said there was there was never there was never any kind of and i was you know there's part of me that was looking for it because i was you know it was in my mind i was kind of like okay and i i you know you were and still are i believe a very cool guy and the thing I love about getting older is that, like, cool people used to intimidate me. Right. You know? So I remember the first time I saw you, you walked into the pit of the cook bar, you had a backpack on, and, you know, you could probably just come from your gig. So that guy wears a backpack pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, you know? And he doesn't like me. Why doesn't he like me? <laughs> and one of the things I like about getting older is you see through cool. You know, you see that you know that everyone's a bit vulnerable and everyone's got insecurities and everyone it, it comes from a certain place and and um, some people lead with cool and and other people just become cool because of they, they themselves or you know. Um, but I um yeah, like, like I said, I was kind of looking for it. I, I it wasn't. I never saw it. Not in a in a not in a glance. Not in a kind of a little wisecrack. Not in a. You know, it was only friendship and, and support, you know. So that, and I really kind of thought, that was, I thought, okay, I got to, I, I, I can't listen to people talk about other people who, you know, it's got to be based on my own experience. Occasionally there's exceptions, you know, Hitler. Um, I mean, again, like, <laughs> if you didn't know about the whole, yeah, but I really only know him from art school. He's vegetarian. He had Vienna. a sharp look. Hang on, what, what do you do after art school? What? Oh, that, hang on, that's not the same. Oh my God, wow. Oh boy. Whoa. Whew. Just reconnected with him on Facebook. And yeah, no, wow. Painted some flowers one day. And I, I mean, but okay. we've all got, funnily enough, I know that we're kind of, I mean, joking around that, but like I have a friend uh, online, yeah. like a high school friend who has become very right wing and is constantly posting, you know, those sort of right wing. And again, in the time where I knew him, you never would have, it wasn't like as a teenager, yeah. he was like, you know, stop the boats and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like he has become that. So there may well have been people who are, I mean, there would have been people I went to uni with who never would have imagined I would have been a stand-up comedian. So there's got to be people that went to art school with Hitler who were like, "Yeah, I mean, of all the guys. Yeah, we used to hang out. We used to go to yeah. the punters club together. It was, yeah. you know, um... I liked him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a few in the course I didn't like. Well, and the thing that I think about a lot in the current climate is that, you know, there'll be people 
you know, the, the, the Me Too movement, well, there'll be more, um, more things to come out with that and there'll be people, who knows who we're going to have to reframe relationships and friendships with um, based on, you know, the, you know there's a, a couple of things, uh, people who have been kind of named and it's, it's, it's less of a shock and there's there are a couple who have been named and I'm like, oh, I had no idea. Uh, and these people, you kind of know. Not, I'm not close with anyone who have been kind of named, but um, be kind of go. I, I, I don't know. I do think of like when that happens, if, or if that happens to somebody I'm, you know, friends with. Like, that's going to be, it's going to be a weird moment. Well, I think with all those sort of things, that it's as much about how someone who's made a mistake previously. And look, there's not anybody in the entire world who hasn't behaved in a way at some stage. You know, yeah, whether yeah. it be something as serious as like you know the the top end of Me Too through to you know just you know casual racism or you know words yeah. that we've used. like. I mean, I, I talk about it with the podcast all the time. My other podcast, well, this one. I mean, there will be times I'll look back on three or four years and there'll be some language I used or an attitude that I had on a topic that, you know, that I've changed. Absolutely. And I think that's important. And I hope that we keep all that. You know, I hope Mm. we keep that capacity to not cancel someone forever if that person makes a genuine attempt to understand what they did was wrong and put in place, you know, some sort of commitment to... There should be... If there is no path for redemption for people, then then there's no incentive for people to redeem themselves. Yeah. However, I think that you are, like funnily enough with the Louis stuff, for example, you know, and I don't know Louis, but mm. I have worked with Louis and mm. I was an admirer of his stand-up comedy. Mm. And I think to some people, um, it seemed on the less, it wasn't Weinstein or Cosby, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that some people have been more disappointed with the way that he has almost that that they could have if he'd handled deal like dealing with what happened and his road back from it better yeah they would have been more accepting for him to have that road back yeah. and at the moment it seems like you know it's the it's the misjudging or the I, I mean, I don't want to say this because I don't think this is a fair thing to say, but I'm going to say it, which is I've almost judged him worse. For, I would have been able to go, look, he did this terrible thing 10 years ago. He certainly never should have put you know, those women in that position. Like I understand absolutely every aspect of that. However, it seems from what we've heard, none of that has happened for a decade. You know, This yep. is all historical stuff. Yeah. Uh, it seems like he's been. If you stop doing something, there's an acknowledgement in that that you have come to an understanding that what you thought was acceptable mm. is not acceptable, yep. and that perhaps he was haunted by that and has been dealing with that and recovering from that and you know forging a new path forward. and And I think that there is a capacity there to kind of move forward, and it almost disappoints me that that isn't how the comeback has happened. If that makes sense. Like we are going to find out things about people that we like all the time that are terrible, but it's how the person deals with that yeah. terrible thing that almost defines them as much as. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, last night on the project, uh, we were talking, talking about Scott Morrison's comments on uh, Pamela Anderson in regards to Julian Assange and, and Lisa Wilkinson did, did a nice piece about how disappointed she was in the comments and, 
and then Steve Price was on on on, on the panel, so he was being Steve you know, Price, being a little bit Steve Price, and trying to excuse it to an extent. Um, and I, I made the point, which I think is worth making here, is that men, we need to allow men to evolve, you know, and and to, because um, when I first saw those comments, I I, I didn't. Listen, I saw him in Twitter feed. I didn't really think much about him, but I, I was surprised it blew up as much as it did. To be absolutely honest, but when Lisa did her piece, I could, I could. If you if you just stop and listen, you can see how something like that, the message that sends to women, and the message it also sends to men, and you go, oh, all these things are connected. So if we just instead of getting defensive, don't, just listen, and then. If you want to say something after you've listened and asked questions, you should. But defensiveness is not a very good first station. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be your your go to. We need to. We do need to to listen. And if you're listening, you know, you will evolve. Um, I think that uh, so much of because I think about this all the time. You know, I think I think about you know that we have worked in an industry that is been predominantly men yeah you know and that we thought nothing of the fact that you would go and do a show and there might be all men on it or there might be a woman yeah on the show because it was just how things were and the 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 world that's built up around that is well there's just not enough women doing comedy so this is like you know this is how it is or whatever and it isn't until you like you said you take a moment to genuinely listen yeah you know to hear these stories that are being told by everybody and say oh okay well i i had never thought of that and it wasn't and the reason i hadn't thought of it wasn't because i was intentionally not thinking about it i was just literally living in a world where it had never even been brought up or considered to me yeah and so there's this element of i think I judge people a lot of the time, I think, and myself like within this, which is what did you do and how did you behave once you knew? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I'll judge myself less on but yeah, saying a certain word or behaving in a certain way before I knew that that was not a thing that I yeah. should be doing. But yeah. then it's that step afterwards when someone says, hey, could you please not, you know, use the R word for mentally, you know, uh, yeah. you know or for disabled people or for whatever, you know, don't use that word. And then you're like, no, I'm going to, no, I'm just going to keep using it. Yeah. I've heard what you've said. Yeah. And well, that was the thing. Does that the, make sense? To go back to the Adam Goulds thing, and mm-hmm. I was at a really, you know, an argument with a friend of mine who was like, for me, the Adam Goulds thing comes down to, the fact that when, when he came out and said, and he took a week or two off playing football, he said, I'm not coping with this. You know, it's, it's all gotten to me. I'm having some, some mental issues with it. That's your cue for everyone to stop. Yeah. Whether you, you, you stop arguing, whether it's racism or it's booing or whether it's your... The, that's, where does a whole Australian giving a bloke a fair go kind of... Where does that kind of... Fall, where, how does that disappear so quickly? And my friend was like, I go to the footy and it's, it's, I can vent and I can do whatever I like. So, well, no, you can't actually. You can't, yeah. you can't stab a child <laughs> who's sitting next to you because they're barring for, you know, even Collingwood. Um, you can't do that. And, you, you know, like just common decency. When somebody has come out and said, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you help, you know, read between the lines. Can you help me out a little bit? 
and your responses get fucked. Well, that's the thing, right? Because that before that, you could be like, I boo at the footy, Adam Goods, because many of the like the things that people said. I I boo Adam Goods because he's a champion player for a team that is the opposite to my team, yep. and I believe he dives in on people's legs or whatever. Yep, Let, yep. Let's just yep. use that as an example, yep. right? Okay, you're allowed to boo somebody for that reason. Yeah. But then when a whole bunch of people, and it's clear a whole bunch of people are booing in a racist way, mm. it's hard to tell that your boo's for a different point. Yeah. That would be the time where I'd be like, you know what? Like, I mean, there was people who had the Southern Cross tattoo before the Southern Cross tattoo was a sign you were a dickhead, right? Oh, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, remember, I, remember, I remember thinking, somebody asked me years ago, you, you, know, you know, teenager or early 20s, if you were get a, a, a tattoo... Oh what would you get? And I'd be like, well, a magpie, because I'm a passionate Collingwood fan, and probably the Southern Cross, you know, because I'm never going to be not proud of being Australian. Right. And it's not really that jingoistic. I mean, it's just the constellation. It's yeah. not like the flag or anything. It's all right, isn't it? It's just a really... <laughs> Thank. Fuck, I didn't do that. I mean, you know, you know, it'd be in a place where I'd never take my clothes off anyway, so it's not, you know... <laughs> Nobody would see it, but still, <laughs> I you, would know. You could have one of those Sons of Anarchy style back tattoos and nobody <laughs> would ever know. <laughs> yeah, I could have a Ben Affleck tattoo on my back. <laughs> nobody would ever know. Um, I like that idea of um, only trying to judge people through your own experience with those people. I think that's yeah. a really um, a strong thing. And as, as I get older, I think I have less and less time to for just... Like, there are a few lingering people that I feel awkward around or don't have good relationships with. And as you get older, it just becomes almost like you're just like, I just can't be bothered. Like, mm. I'd, as in, like, I'd rather this be fine just so that I don't have to be bothered with this being, yeah, you know. And I don't really even want to be in a situation with, you know, around people or in a work situation or in a life situation with people that I you know, don't find pleasant to, you know, hang out with and work yeah. with. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you do. And that's, that's what I love about getting older. You just you just kind of realise what's, you know, a bit more what's important. You're a bit more comfortable in your own skin. And you, you know, I don't, I guess one of my other philosophies is don't make anyone's day harder than it needs to be. And because you, I need to connect with the joy of what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is amazing. This is what I'm doing everything I ever wanted to do, you know. I mean, maybe when I was a kid, you're kind of dreaming that you might be in a Hollywood movie that's a big blockbuster, but, you know, relatively, I'm doing everything I wanted to do. I wanted to, always wanted to be eclectic. I wanted to write some books. I wanted to, you know, um, be on a Tonight Show. I wanted to be in a sketch show. I, I, I wanted to make a movie. I, I, I could not be happier and... Uh, and I, you know, I think I was speaking a lot about uh, on this show about connecting with that kind of fourteen-year-old boy, you know, and and that I always think of that. I always kind of think of, you know, um, me in my bedroom, you know, as a fourteen-year-old in Bandura, um, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm writing. I'm just writing. And if I had a pen and paper in my hand, I was happy. And I'm, you know, and I'm in year ten and or year nine, and, and the, the humanities teacher has asked me to to kind of, uh, during oral presentations, to, to, to sit at the desk and introduce people to do their presentations in a Steve Weizard style. I'm just, you know, I did work experience at Fast Forward, you know, I'm looking, you know, Ted Emery over there, the direct, famous director and Magda and, and Marg and, 
and just like all my dreams have come true. So I've got no, I need to kind of remain connected to that joy. And, you know, I, um, you know, I had an experience, you know, some, you know, with um, doing breakfast radio with uh, a man who I loved and who was a, a extremely talented who on the final uh, day of our, our last day of the year, we went out, had drinks to celebrate, gave him a hug, invited him to Christmas at my house if he wanted to because he was from interstate, get the call the next day that he killed himself. You know, and I, I always, um, you always wonder, you know, you always wonder, was his days being made the best possible, you know, the, 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 as, as good as it can be, you know, and I'm, there's no blame, you know, um, to anyone, um, but I, you know, I, I, I'd be lying if I, I didn't say, um, I wonder, you know, if, if, if everyone was making his day as good as it could possibly be every day. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, and there are times, you know, we, I'm sure we all get frustrated and, and, you know, with, with certain people and, and all that, but just not to, you know, I just think of everybody's, I try to think of everybody's parents, you know, that they've got parents who are worried about them, you know, and, uh, they've got family and, and, and friends and, and they, they go home, you know, this is a workplace, it's every so it, it's a theme that's. Come oh, no, up. sorry, I went off in a hole. No, that's good. Absolutely, I'd love this because it's a theme that's come up a lot um, on this podcast before, and it was actually one of the themes of my show, which was you know, despite this like thing I'm telling you, the thing that haunted me the most about it was on this day I was somebody's worst day at work. Yeah, you know, on yeah, this day, yeah. I, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. This wasn't fun for them. They were clearly worried enough about some situation, even though it turned out to be a misunderstanding. Yeah, like. In the moment, they didn't know that it was a misunderstanding. In the moment, I was their worst day at work. And yeah. one of my great themes that I try to live by is like, don't be somebody's worst day at work. You know, yeah. like, don't be the person that they go home and complain to their partner about. And I was, remember, I was just at the airport the other day, like, we, and, um, you know, I always get, uh, for whatever reason, I think it's because, I am a slow packer of my stuff. I take all my stuff out and then when it goes through the machine, I'm a slow packer. I always get the, you know, bomb thing. Right, yeah. But the other thing is I know how to do it and it takes 30 seconds. And so I've started, rather than going, oh, this again, I've started going the other way, which is just be, these people are dealing with frustrated, you know, grumpy people all the time. Just be the light of their day. Be oh. the one person who opens the bag, who's really nice to them, who asks them how their day's going, who makes some sort of... And you see it. Oh, like, mate, it's almost... Yeah. It's more rewarding than doing a whole show. In that 30 seconds, you can see someone who's just used to getting this procession of grumpy, you know, frustrated... Again, we also have more experience traveling and these sort of things. So often at the airport, it's heightened emotions. It's people are running late. They're yeah. in a strange environment. So... They're not at their best, you know, and you, you can give someone just that moment that makes their day a little bit better. There's some great joy in that. I, I, and I do exactly the same thing. I had this same experience because I was a little bit like, oh, yeah, they've picked me again. You know? <laughs> I think anyone with a public profile thinks they probably always are getting picked on. And, and, and then I, I had the thought of going, well, if they are picking me because they, they know who I am, then fine. Right. Fine, because they are standing at the end of a you know a carousel or you know whatever it is. Right. Um, 
for however many hours, yeah. six hours a day, whatever, yeah. if, if they can bomb check my bag right. so that we're all safe and I can, you know, I, I did exactly the same thing. I just, I, you know, I, I was, for a little while I was a bit like, oh, okay, I'm, you chose me again, have you? And this kind of going, g'day, mate. How you doing? Yeah, no worries. Um, and it's, and, you know, I find sometimes, even sometimes in traffic, letting somebody in as opposed to trying to get in front of them can just instantly make you feel a bit not, a bit better. Right. In your own mind. I mean, it does. That's the other thing that we kind of forget or that we just don't get told all the time. Because I think, you know, that part of it is probably the way that we're sold to in the world, which is the, you know, uh, individualism and advertising and capitalism revolve around those concepts a little bit, which is yeah. self-advancement. But there is great joy in doing things for other people. And I think that we forget to tell people that, that you can actually make your day a little bit better by just taking 30 seconds out of your day to make someone else's day a little bit better. I think we treat kind, kindness as a very frivolous thing, that it's just, yeah, it's, it's nice to be kind. If you can be kind, it's good. But it's actually, it's much more important than that. And I wish I did more, like, you know, bigger kind of acts of kindness, Um uh, but I'm just a bit busy at the moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 Don't you understand? I've got a yeah, got two TV I've shows. Got a, yeah. I've got a children's book to flog. I've got to run a new stand-up show. You know what? If you want me to be kind to you, come along, pay $55. I'll be really entertaining for 70 minutes. If you don't think I've been kind to you, I'll yeah. probably let you into traffic at yeah. some point. So I just... Back off. <laughs> if you haven't enjoyed tonight's show, I did let you into traffic the other day. So... But I think that we also think that kindness almost has to be without its own reward. And and if you get, like, you hear this thing of going, they're just doing that to make themselves feel good. I I do not understand people saying that. You're like, well, good. (laughs) Good. If it makes the other person feel good and it makes them feel good, isn't that a double bonus? That shouldn't be something that... It's like the people who are like, oh, well, this gives you all the side effects of marijuana, but you don't get that nice high. And you're like, why? <laughs> why did you take out that bit that was also... Well, one of the strangest terms of it, you know, is the term do-gooder. Like, yeah. It's always said negatively. He's a do-gooder. What a fucking do-gooder. Yeah. It's like, what, he's, he's doing good? Yeah. Now, you, you understand where maybe where it's turned because people might try to rub their, sure. their goodness in other people's faces. That's probably where it has gotten a bad name. But still, people are doing good things. I know. Oh, well, I imagine even in, like, you know, a Metropolis, there were people going, Superman, he's just a do-gooder, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Just virtue signaling. Yeah. That's what he is. Yeah, yeah. Social justice warrior. Only rocks up when we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> For the glory. Always gets right right ups in the daily. What is it? What's the newspaper? The Daily Planet. I was going to say Daily Mail. Yeah, Daily Planet. Yeah, in the da- he ended up working at the Daily Mail. <laughs> That's a funny sketch. Clark Kent now working at the Daily Mail. <laughs> Just following Carrie Bickmore around. <laughs> Um, yeah, those. I think that the the idea that kindness can be good for you as well is something that, as our society, we have. Like, I find it so weird because you can actually go. It doesn't even like. In some ways, me being kind to that person at the airport, 
I don't get to see the results of whether that did. I'm imagining in some ways that I was the bright spot in their day. Maybe I wasn't. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was the annoying guy and they like the fact that everybody else just shuts up and they can wave their wand and they move on. Whereas I'm all chatty McChat. Like, how's your day? When do you knock off? Do you I love to- if one day they said, mate, yeah. I'm at work. Just mate, let me check your bags, please. Mate, this is, we're not mates. <laughs> Like I'm asking the guy about what he's doing when he's knocking off work. I'm like, do you have a nap in the afternoon? He's like, mate, none of your business. This is a transaction. I'm just working out if you're a terrorist or not, mate. You know? And the way you're acting, I'm kind of thinking yeah. you are. Yeah, why do you need to know my schedule all of a sudden? And when I'm sleeping. Um, uh, yes. Uh, all right. So the idea of... I guess kindness for kindness for the actual reward of kindness is something that I think I don't know why I don't understand necessarily why but you've always struck me as somebody who is I think you know kindness is something that is is even a theme of your work like I mean you've never been a person who you know your stuff has been particularly nasty or particularly vicious I yeah, mean I'm sure yeah. there have been times where you've you know done that joke or that line or whatever that has been but as a general rule you, you know your your comedy doesn't seem to come from a place of you know uh, that sort of snarkiness it comes from a place of sort of kindness yeah it's funny sometimes because um and i don't like nastiness and there's sometimes like i've got no interest in any of those comedy roasts that have kind of become popular um i've just got no interest in it and yeah, I've got you know, no interest also because I don't really want to know what people think about me. Well, that way. part of it, like, possibly that I'm like, as well. Yeah, I'm like, you should be inside my brain. I'm constantly doing a comedy roast of myself. <laughs> I don't need other people's jokes to add to it as well. <laughs> if, I, if it was just like me, my entire show is essentially a comedy roast of me. Here's another <laughs> dickhead thing that I've done. Yeah, right now, Sarah yeah. Silverman's tearing me apart in here. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's... it's um, uh, but it's funny because sometimes I'll do stuff on the project and I, you'll, I will get complaints saying, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's nasty. How did, why did you pick on that person you know, who was doing a Vox Pop in Adelaide because over the burst water main or something? And, and, um, and I just have a reaction. I'm like, oh, I never thought of it as making fun of. We're just kind of showing, you know, they jumped in front of a camera, they spoke and, you know, something was funny about it. It's, you know, and, we, and we are very careful with if we think they've, they've got any kind of issue yeah. if, um, that we, we, we don't show it. Um, so we do actually have a filter. Um, and so it's, as much as I, I don't go for that, sometimes you know, occasionally I'll get accused of, of, of being that way. But um, no, I don't, I don't particularly like um, nastiness. It, all, it always struck me too that you seem like one of our contemporaries who when, you know, for a lot of us it was about you know, I don't know, like, you know, living the lifestyle as much as, you know, doing the job mm. that you always were a person who, you know, well, I mean, maybe you weren't, I'd like to ask you, but you know, you seemed amongst our group to be the person who settled down a bit earlier, yeah. you know? Well, I remember looking around. So at the Rove office, so I started Rove in 1999. It was the first year at Channel 9 and I started comedy in 96. So it all happened pretty quickly. Um, and I um, looked around at the, that office, and there was an yeah, office of about 30 people, and there was one person who was, was married, and that uh, was uh, Margaret Chong, our, um, our accountant, and she was uh, in her 40s, I guess. Um, 
And I thought, oh, is this, is this what where comedy leads? Like, you know, and TV and, and like there's people working so hard that they don't form relationships. And that was all in my own head. It wasn't, you know, I was just really getting to know these people. Um, but something I did, I being having a family was always very important to me. I always wanted it, you know. Um, um, and so I did have, you know, I've, I've enjoyed myself, you know, and the early days of my comedy career was just some of my best memories, you know, hanging out with you and, and the guys at Elbow Grease and going back to the punters club and drinking out of dirty plastic pots and just getting to know each other and just look at what we're doing. This is amazing. And, and um, you know, going from the Espy on a Sunday to Elbow Grease and, and this, you know, getting your first gig at a comedy club and well, we, we, had the, we had the guy in today who's reopening, one of the guys who's reopening the Espy. And as he talked about, you know, what they've done to the Gersh and all these sort of things, I was really like, oh, wow, I'm having like a really emotional connection to that time and yeah. a memory of that time and how exciting that time was. Like in a way that, you know, playing the Sydney Opera House doesn't give you the same level of excitement as like, you know, the first time you got a Tuesday night at the ESPY or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Or when Dave Torino asked you to do the cheese shop, you know, and, and, and uh, when when comedians will say nice things to you, you know, like, um, you know, I remember specific things that like Matt King would say to me, you know, and Alan Rowe and, and like just take me aside and say, you, you, you're killing it, you know, and and um, it meant a lot, you know, like, and now some people might say something nice, you're going, oh, thanks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Cool. Um, um, but, you know, then it just meant everything because you meant, oh, you know, uh, I'm, maybe I'm on the right path, maybe I can do this. Um, but, yeah, the, the connection I have with those first few years and the people like you and Husey and Rove and, you know, Michelle Laurie, Adam Richard, the guy who were doing the same rooms as we were, um, and, you know, there's another dozen um, tripod, you know, and the road show that we did, you know, together, I think we the first, the very first uh, yep. Comedy Festival road show. That's right. You, me, Corinne, Grant, um, tripod, uh, Keith Robinson, and then he was replaced with Ross Noble halfway through. I think That's that was right. the, uh, a Matt King. Yeah, Matt King. That's right. Um, it was amazing, and I wish I mean, so much fun. Like, I mean, I, 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 I we've told this story before, but uh, one of the early dates on that road show was my hometown where I'd grown up, and uh, so I did this thing about you know I'm from here, oh, yeah. and it became the running joke of the show. Everybody said they were from here, and of course Keith Robinson, who's this uh, you know black American New York <laughs> comedian, <laughs> like came out. I remember he just says, "It's good to be home," and oh, it was like do little secrets. <laughs> <laughs> we gifted him the best. Has anyone has anyone been gifted a better punchline to walk into a you know a, a country town in Australia? Like I love that man. He was he he came out a couple of years ago to Australia, and um, I caught up with him a couple of times. But and we've kind of occasionally swapped messages. But he's fuck. He was funny. Uh, he was he was great. But like this that and kind of because you're getting paid as well. So you you know you kind of I remember buying a stussy jacket in one of the towns, and <laughs> you know, that was exciting and. You know, Matt King got me in the Gomez, uh, the band. That's you know. right. Um, well, I was just in Townsville, which was where Ross Noble wrapped himself in bubble wrap and came out on the conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not a thing they'd let you do at an airport anymore, but it was a different time. It was pre-9-11. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was too, yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah I, I kind of, and I would love to do another, like, I have a real 
like you know hunger to do another road show. It's just like it's not going to happen anytime soon. I don't think. But um, yeah, great times. Uh, okay, well, we need to finish up soon because you've got to get to work. But I I always ask a couple of questions, uh, so I, I want to cover those off. Which is uh, okay. So religion? Are you religious at all? Did, I was you... raised a Catholic. Yeah. Um, and went to Catholic schools. My kids go to Catholic schools. Um, and uh, I still don't know what it's about. <laughs> I, 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 and I, you know, I, I kind of spoke about it in one of my shows for you a couple of years ago. I, 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 despite, I don't know, maybe I haven't dedicated enough time to thinking about it, but I just, I don't know. I don't know. I know you're going to ask about what happens after we die. I don't, I don't know. I think. Well, no one knows. If, if I was, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's not like I'm. It's not like I'm running no, a quiz. Next next week's episode of Philosophy, the answers are revealed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a survey, <laughs> and I'm just working out who knows. I know, and I'm well, just asking other people to see if they also know. <laughs> there's a winner. There's a meat tray involved. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I don't. If, I, I feel like this. I don't quite feel like it's completely over. I feel like there's too many amazing things that happen. More, I, I, I would lean towards the spiritual more than religion, I think. But I don't practice much of it. I just kind of believe that there's, it's pretty fucking amazing. And I'm not sure if science covers all of it. Um, so I, 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 I like to think there's something. I don't necessarily believe that there's, we're going to be walking around on clouds, um, but I think we just might be somehow out there in the ether, maybe as particles. <laughs> just some, it's a spirit. Just the vibe. It's the vibe. It's Marbo. <laughs> it's the vibe. It's the universe. Dennis Donato it's... had it all wrapped up uh, many years ago. But um, well, okay. So with that in mind, then, if it's not something that you, you know, and look, I, it's nothing. It's you know, I guess the question that comes with that and the thing that I'm more interested in than is what, what, why do you do what you do? Like what drives you to create? What drives you to love? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Like what are those things motivated by? Because there's a bit of a, you know, kind of a myth of like organized religion, which is Mm -hmm. without these rules of organized religion, how do you, define your life and how do you be a good person if you don't know that if you do these things you're going to hell or you know some version of that how is it that you define what's important to you and you know you decide yeah what it is that you're going to put your energy and your passion into and what your life yeah is about yeah i mean i'll I'll say that i have no regrets obviously i still send my kids to a catholic have catholic education Mm -hmm. so i was really, really thankful for the education i got I think it's given me a good, whether I believe stuff or not, it's given me a good moral compass. And that's come from my parents as well. And I've seen my grandparents get through a whole lot of stuff from war to, you know, deaths of children um, with faith. And I, I don't think it's important that you have faith in a God, but I think it's nice if you have faith in something. Um and I, I think I just want. You often think. I think most people. You probably think. Okay, at the end of it, what what is there? And I, I know. I just. I want. 
I want hopefully to leave some kind of legacy, not for the world, but for the people around me, you know, my kids. It's funny, I started thinking about my kids before I had them. I was a teenager and I was kind of thinking, what kind of man do I want to be so my kids can see... I was living my life with my kids years before I'd ever met the person who I'd have those kids with, you know. And it's so I just I think I want to just help them navigate the world and some yeah you know, life. And and sometimes I like and I my dad used to do it and he used to drive me mad. And I I've fallen into the same trap where I'm trying to pass on too many lessons, you know. Often after sport, you know, like, you know, this and that and this and that and this and that, and, you know. And it's, I've gotten better at just kind of knowing, just take a step back, let them go through their little thing. And then when the moment's right, you know, you can come in. Yeah, one of our boys had something that they'd be disappointed with, something didn't quite go the way they were hoping. And, you know, I, I just kind of handled it, you know, in a very kind of, just said, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You'll get another chance. You'll be back, and you know the same thing happened to me. Um, happens to a lot of people. Just let them know that they weren't alone in, in what they were going through. Um, and, I, and I think I think years ago I would have been. Well, why did it happen? Yeah, it shouldn't have happened. You're better yeah. than this. Here's why it happened. Yeah. Uh, here's where it went wrong, and yeah. here's how you can address it next time. Yeah, yeah. So, Instead of saying, "Oh yeah, we've all." And I think, you know, if we talk on a broader sense, you know, that I think has some real correlation to the world that we're in now where we're very, you know, willing and ready to point out to people what they did wrong and how they should have done it better instead of taking a little step back and going, oh, yeah, I've fucked up shit too. Absolutely. Like, I've yeah. made major mistakes too and yeah. you're not alone in going through this and it's how you come back from this that will define you as much as what has just happened. And that's what, that's what I said. I said, it's, it's not a bad thing to have this a little, let's call it a failure, before you're about to go into a few years of like, you know, exams and that kind of stuff where this is something that's not actually, but you can, you know, you can do it again. Be yeah. fine. Um, but this will be fine. And funny enough, there's a quote that somebody used on the, on the project at night, which I kind of, from Nelson Mandela, which I felt a little bit hacky kind of quoting Nelson Mandela. You feel like a little bit David Brand as soon as you say Nelson Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But he said, I thought it was great. He said, uh, you know, I, never, I never fail, I succeed or I learn. Which has the, I love it because it's got the economy of a stand-up comedian. You know, like it's just, it's word perfect. And, um, but it's true. And I said, what did you do today? And he kind of just laughed and he said, I, you know, I succeeded, joking. And I said, oh, maybe you learned. And, um, and that was it. And that was, you know, uh, it was nice. It was nice. So, um, Justin and I were just in Noosa and backstage they had all the previous people who, you know, like, yeah, who yeah, performed there and kind of graffitied the wall yeah, yeah, in the yeah. theatre. And one of them was a Nelson Mandela musical. And I was so disappointed that it hadn't been called A Long Dance to Freedom. <laughs> I, was, I was like, surely if you're going to do a musical about Nelson Mandela, that's what you've got to call it. Hey, Pete, I've got to let you go because you've got to get to work. But um, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, plug, uh, so uh, the reason we uh, are slotting this one in, even though I'm not back officially, is that um, I want people to be able to watch your TV show, which is How to Stay Married. It's on Channel 10. How many episodes? Uh, we are eight, uh, eight episodes we are for this series. And, and um, when this comes out it so how many have been it, it's been two already three already two to air yeah. uh, for, uh, 
as as of, as of today. Yeah. And uh, so Thursday nights at um, 8.30 now. It was 9 o'clock after the bachelorette, but it's gone back to 8.30. Uh, and uh, the, 10 play as well? or 10 some play sort of and uh, encores have been on Monday nights after have you been paying attention, but that's now finished. So there'll be maybe a shift, but look at, look at you guys. Um, uh, if you've got kids, uh, get them in the reading. Uh, Frankie Fish series is gone great um there's three books uh, a fourth one out in uh, in april um and uh, the project nice and i'm doing a show at the comedy festival next year oh you are yeah awesome. it's about me reading the books that I, I i wrote as a kid so it's actually for uh family it's it's actually i did it as a family show at the yak festival right so we had like kids of all ages this one i'm kind of pitching for 14 years and up but it's it's a it's a stroll down nostalgia lane, you know, uh, for parents because there's my my the books that I wrote, and there's references to Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, Star Wars, Mister Wong, and the American Express ad. Um, I mean, it sounds like Ready Player One. You might, you might <laughs> Spielberg might make this into a movie. Uh, you might be right if, if you're listening, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, I, I can comp you. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, but there's you know. There's all that stuff. Ah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being part of this, mate. I really appreciate uh, that you uh, made the time. And um, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, my new show probably is on sale now um, uh, for Melbourne Comedy Festival. Uh, so uh, buy some tickets to that. That'd be handy. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Bye.